A very good morning to you. My name is Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate, who is just here. If you're new here or visiting this morning, you're very welcome. Do go and see the team over at the welcome desk over there. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to either introduce you to this part of the body of Christ or another part of the body of Christ. So do go and see those guys over there. They'd love to um, make you feel welcome. So Kate said today marks the first Sunday in Advent. And so um, before all things Christmassy become totally overwhelming and totally stressful, uh, the shopping, the parties, the uh, habitual family traumas which seem to occur at this time of year, uh, this is actually a time for us to pause. It's time for us to take a breath. It's time for us to stop and reflect. So why don't we just do that right now? Let's just take a moment of just being still in the presence of God. The Spirit of God is here. I encourage you just to close your eyes. Father, we thank you for your presence. Come and still and quiet our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Come by your Holy Spirit and interrupt our preoccupations, the things that are worrying us, the things that are bothering us, and let your Spirit depend, uh, descend on us. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Amen. There's something um, in the rhythm of this preparatory season of Advent that helps us to remember, really, and uh, recover something of the mystery, um, something of the excitement that, that Christmas really ought to have that sometimes just gets lost in the kind of busyness and the, the franticness of it all. And as we approach, it's, it's sort of like the darkest time of the year, if you like. Advent is sort of like this liturgical signpost in the dark. It's like a liturgical neon light uh, that shines brightly. And it's this signpost that points back to Jesus' birth on the one hand, and it also points ahead to his Return and it, it offers this glimpse and this gleam of um, this beacon of light and hope in the midst of what feels like darkness. And the Advent uh, means coming or arrival, but it's actually about two very different things at the same time. So, on the one hand, it's about celebrating the first coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, as we all know, and at the same time, it's looking ahead. It's about looking forward to his second coming, his return, the return of Jesus when he will put everything right. And so in Advent, we take time, we take a pause, we take uh, time to reflect and to take stock. We, we look back to the ancient people of God. We look back to those who've gone before us. We look back to um, Abraham and his family and the start of God's rescue operation for a world in ruins and a human race 
uh, in chaos. We follow the narrative of the arc of the scriptures through the story of Israel's hope, um, a hope that refused to die no matter how many terrible things seemed to happen, uh, a hope that Christians believe uh, has become human uh, in the baby Jesus. It's that first advent, in that first advent, it's clear that God's rescue operation for us, for humanity, for the world in which we find ourselves has been decisively begun, but it's also clear because we live in the 21st century that it's obviously not been completed because all of God's purposes have not yet been fulfilled. And so in the life and the the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus really did bring and launch and inaugurate God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. All of that began in that very first advent, but it became clear very quickly um, just because of the nature of this this kingdom of God, the, the sort of kingdom that this was, that this kingdom would then need to make its way, unfolding and unfurling over time through the lives of and the self-giving service of Jesus' followers until the time when Jesus returns to finish his work, to put all things right, to to banish evil and death forever and to bring heaven and earth completely together in the final restoration and resurrection of all things. And so... During the season of Advent, we, we, yes, we celebrate Jesus' first coming and we use that sense of the fulfillment, the completion of Jesus' first coming um, to fuel our hope, to encourage us, to give us hope, to look forward and to look ahead to his second coming and to his return. And so we find ourselves in true now and not yet um, kingdom theology. We find ourselves living in that tension between the first advent and the second. We find ourselves living in this darkness between the first advent and the second, looking for those signposts of Jesus coming that will bring us um, hope. And over these next four weeks in the run-up to Christmas, we want to do all that we can to reflect on this season. We want to, take, uh, we want to be intentional about taking our time to slow down We want to take time to choose to make space. We want to take time to choose uh, to resist the urge to be hurried and harried. Uh, We want to take time to pause and to take stock. And so on Sunday mornings during Advent, we're going to be looking at four themes that we hope will help guide us through this season. And we're going to be looking at waiting, stillness, giving, and then feasting. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. Then this evening, as Kate's already said, and then next Sunday evening, we'll all gather together um, for our carol services. And, and again, they are, they're not just like, oh, it's another carol service, although maybe how it feels. These are opportunities for us to gather as a church family, as the body and the bride of Christ, to celebrate and mark this most wonderful time of year. So um, please do join us. Now, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to James chapter Five. Um, now, some of you will know that we've been running a small group this term, and it's called Pub Epistles, and uh, each week a whole bunch of us have gathered together in a local pub uh, over a pint or a, 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 of something or a glass of wine, um, usually several, and of course, some of the finest scotch eggs on the planet. And we've been working our way through the book of James. Now, it's been a lot of fun 
Um, it's been, we've been in very, very good company indeed. Um, but I would be lying if I didn't tell you that um, at the same time as being a lot of fun, it has been extremely and excruciatingly challenging. Um, James, have you read the book of James? It is not for the faint hearted. And so expertly led by Mr. James Kite on Wednesday, we looked at this passage and I thought that it would be a great starting point um, for uh, Advent theme of waiting. So this is James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, when we looked at this on Wednesday, uh, one of the things that very quickly came to light was that I'm not very good at waiting. Uh, if you were to ask uh, Kate or any of our children or any of the staff team or anyone who's known me for any more than five minutes, you'll find out I'm pretty sure that one of the last things they would describe me as is patient. Um, and it's not something I'm proud of, but I'm just not very good at waiting. I, I don't think I'm alone. I hope I'm not alone. I'm, I'm not sure how good many of us are at waiting. And at this time of year, it feels like there's a lot of waiting to be done. You know, you're waiting for a car parking space to get into the supermarket. You're waiting for that delivery from that company that shall not be named, um, even though they've promised to deliver it within 15 minutes of you purchasing it. Uh, it still doesn't seem quick enough. Amazon super, super, super prime. Oh, not that we do that or buy from them, apparently. Um, or I don't know if any of you live anywhere near, we live in East Sheen, any of you driven along the upper Richmond Road since Hammersmith Bridge has closed? Um, you know, <laughs> someone is really trying to test my patience. Like just waiting to move an inch uh, feels uh, like a miracle. I find waiting hard. Waiting for anything is a challenge. Uh, one of the things over the last year particularly that I've found really, really challenging um, and actually, uh, hardest of all, has been waiting for God. I'm not sure if it's just me, but um, it doesn't feel like God ever seems to be in a hurry. Um, I'd much prefer it if things happened you know, now, if not sooner. God um, seems to take his time. And... Some of us feel like we've been waiting for God for long enough to do something, and it, and it can be hard, I think, to um, see anything good coming out of these seasons of waiting. You know, maybe you're um, waiting for test results from the doctor, or maybe you're waiting for this, this, the treatment that you've been given to find out whether it's going to work. Maybe you're waiting for something momentous to happen that we hope is going to change our lives in a significant way. Maybe we're waiting, you're waiting for the, um, that elusive boyfriend or girlfriend that's finally going to show up in your lives. Maybe you're waiting for a new job, or looking for a new job, or hoping for a new job. Maybe you're just waiting for at least one 
of the prayers that you've been praying constantly for the last however many years to be answered by God in the way that we think that God should answer them. There's something about waiting that is difficult. It can be challenging. But even in the waiting, I suppose my question this morning is, do we believe that God is at work in our lives in the waiting, in those moments where nothing really feels like it's happening? Those of you who are fortunate enough to have children or you even now find yourselves waiting for the arrival of a baby, you have a pretty good idea of what this kind of waiting is like. You know, for even while the expectant mother waits, God is at work. It may feel like it's invisible or intangible, but God is at work forming and shaping the life of your baby. And it's almost like, um, if I can put it like this, it's almost like conception is the promise. Conception is the promise of something to come, but as of yet, unformed, unseen, unknown, undetermined. And, And then the delivery and the birth fulfill the promise that was given at conception. But between promise and fulfillment, there are these months, these nine months of waiting. There's this... um, expectancy, there's this, there's planning, there's all these things that need to be done and then along with that I have no personal experience of that but I am reliably informed that there are also times of discomfort, there, there are, there's emotional uncertainty, there's, there can even be in pregnancies um, often there's anxiety, there's worry and this waiting, this season of waiting can be really hard. And in Luke's gospel of the first advent, we get to meet two pregnant couples, actually, two sets of parents in waiting, but we'll we'll get to them in a minute. Um, First of all, let me take you back to James. This is a generation or so after Jesus. This isn't very long after Jesus' death and resurrection. And here's one of Jesus' brothers, James. He's now the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to believers, specifically to Christian Jews, who are scattered among the nations of the world. And they've probably been scattered because of persecution, and mostly the poor. Um, These believers had experienced uh, injustice at the hands of the wealthy. The rich of the time um, had misused and abused the poor for their own uh, benefit. And while the affluent wanted to sort of preserve and and, and expand their assets, uh, they did all of that at the expense and the cost of the poor, which um, nothing really sounds like it's changed very much. In James' day, it wasn't very easy to be a follower of Jesus. It wasn't easy to be a believer. Jesus had promised to return soon. Uh, And although this is only a a couple of few decades after Jesus' death, disciples of Jesus, they are waiting for that fulfillment, that promise to be fulfilled. They're waiting for the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. And so James writes to them and says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. Be patient until the Lord's coming, with the implication that it's coming soon. And we know that that's not necessarily the case, although it depends how you define soon. Now have a look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read a whole chunk of Luke chapter 1 just because I really like it, and it's Christmas, so let's do that. This is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, understandably and quite naturally, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel, in true angel style, said, Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Uh, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, just in case you weren't aware. I stand in the presence of God, just in case you weren't aware, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Note, if you ever meet Gabriel, don't argue with him. <laughs> Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. Uh, they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he was playing charades because it was Christmas and he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. You need to follow this in the Bible because some of these bits are, are me, not the Bible. So you do need to follow along so that you can tell the charades thing isn't actually in the Bible. Just in case you weren't aware. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, down in Gal Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to be to me be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. 
Now, um, James doesn't use these stories of Zachariah and Elizabeth, or indeed Mary and Joseph, to illustrate this whole thing about the importance of waiting. James uses other Old Testament illustrations. But James could have used these stories from the first advent to support his kind of exhortation to be patient then, brothers and sisters. And the first thing is around waiting for the Lord despite delay. Here in Luke 1, we've got these two pregnant women waiting and learning patience in their waiting. And I'm sure sure they're kind of probably waiting like all pregnant women wait. However, for these two, for Elizabeth and Mary, it's kind of, um, these are what you might call um, high-risk pregnancies. Uh, One of them is this older, probably most likely post-menopausal woman named Elizabeth. And the other is this unmarried teenager at the time of conception and it's unclear to most people who the father actually is which isn't a good thing in that culture and society and these both of these life situations for these two women make for complicated pregnancies and first you've got um, Elizabeth and Zachariah they're sort of like New Testament counterparts of Abraham and Sarah they're not able to have children years and years and years go by and they are waiting and waiting and they are trying and trying and they keep on trying to have a child but at some point in their lives they get tired of the endless delay and they pretty much give up hope of having children and um, some of you here I know have lived with that pain some of you here I know are living with that pain, that, that desire, that yearning, that longing, that sense of this is what I've been made for and yet this just feels like it's being denied and uh, we've been for all the tests and there doesn't seem to be anything wrong but no matter how much we try, no matter what we do, we just don't seem to be able to conceive. And so I have no idea what that kind of pain is like. but. Um, as your church family, we want to stand with you in that and walk with you in that and walk through that with you and be there for you in whatever ways that we can. But Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're old now. Um, I can't prove it, but I imagine that Zachariah and Elizabeth continue to somehow remain positive and, and hopeful people. Um, they, they can't have a baby, but they somehow seem to keep on keeping on. We don't see um, them grumbling or complaining to each other. We don't see them blaming, one blaming the other. Uh, you know, to all intents and purposes, they look like they're just growing old gracefully. And then it was with this couple, despite all of the delay, all of the years of delay, she's probably post-menopause, she can't even physically have a baby that God sort of suddenly decides he's going to act and accomplish his purposes. And he says, your wife will bear you a son to Zechariah. And that's what the angel says to the priest. And, and, and Zechariah rightly responds. He says, you know, hold on a second. I don't think you've noticed. I'm pretty old and my wife's pretty old too. So I, I'm not sure that I think this is going to happen. And it is this promise that is so amazing. It's so unusual. Zechariah can't even believe it. And because of his unbelief, he's literally struck dumb and he's unable to speak for the whole term of the pregnancy. Now, I assume because he's gone a bit quiet, I imagine people thought that the old guy might have just sort of lost the plot. You know, but imagine how hard it must have been for Zachariah, all this waiting, unable to speak, unable to tell anyone what's happened to him. 
But the promise begins to come true. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and the Lord has done this for me, she exclaims. And this great story um, of waiting in the face of long delay comes to fulfillment when John, later known as John the Baptist, is born. And finally, probably much to the disappointment of his wife, Zachariah can speak again. And James writes, be patient, my brothers and sisters. Wait for the Lord despite delay. And this is one of two messages, I think, from James that's lived out in these first Advent stories. Wait for the Lord despite delay. Here's a farmer, says James, brother of Jesus. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. You know, no farmer, we know that no farmer can rush the harvest. The farmer watches and looks and waits for the rains, and sometimes the rains don't come when you expect them to, or you hope that they'll come, and even when the rains do come at the right time in season, it still takes time for the harvest to mature. And, and James says, like the farmer, be patient even in the face of delay. Be patient as you look for the Lord to work. Be patient as you continue to look for the Lord's return and be patient in the midst of what can feel like a trial because they may just be ways in which God is building things like character and maturity into your life. Um, one theme of this very short but very challenging book of James is, is this hope of our becoming more mature and more complete in Christ. And James is encouraging us right throughout his book to set our hearts on becoming mature and becoming complete, all the while awaiting for the final fulfillment of the return of Jesus. So, wait for the Lord despite delay. Keep your eyes fixed on him and on his promised return. Because the hope is that in the light of that reality, the difficulties that we experience, the the challenges that we face in the waiting, that they may become slightly more bearable because we know that they're not forever. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that the tunnel feels like it just goes on and on and on. And for James, he's kind of saying, you know, what's all this, what does all this patient waiting look like in practice? What are we going to do when we're in the midst of those seasons of challenge and we're waiting for the Lord to come through on his promises? James just says, look, you know, while you're waiting, don't grumble against one another. Don't complain against one another. Don't condemn one another. One commentator writes, Christians lose patience with each other under pressures, and the church becomes infected with a readiness to criticize and blame. I'm impatient. I don't like waiting. And in that frustration and the tension that I feel around waiting and losing any patience that I did have, I've become miserable and grumbled and critical and negative and all those sort of things. When, when things get difficult, when the fulfillment of God's promises seem to be delayed, it's really easy to complain. It's really easy to grumble. It's easy to turn against each other and to blame somebody else. But that's not the kind of waiting that God has and desires for us. Wait for the Lord despite delay and wait patiently without grumbling against one another. And then the second thing is this, wait for the Lord despite difficulty. There's another uh, pregnant couple in Luke chapter 1, Joseph and Mary, uh, in the sixth month of 
Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in Galilee. And, and here you've got this teenage girl. Um, she's betrothed to be married to this chap called Joseph. He's the town's carpenter. And the angel announces, you will be with child and give birth to a son. And she's like, <laughs> paraphrasing, hold on a second. Uh, I'm not like Elizabeth, like in case you hadn't noticed, like, I think I probably ought to tell you, Gabriel, that I'm actually a virgin. And uh, I think you may have missed out a few steps along this journey. Um, and paraphrasing, Gabriel says to Mary, well, it's going to be a God thing. <laughs> but, you know, put yourself in Mary's shoes. Imagine, you know, we kind of um, sort of semi-deify her and uh, we have all these icons and images of what she looks like. But imagine Mary as a, probably a 13 or 14 year old girl. Um, and she, soon after she becomes pregnant, she probably has morning sickness and, and swollen ankles and all the things that go along with pregnancy. And the angel didn't say anything about any of that. Um, she's probably tired all of the time. And Joseph's not happy with her, and so she hasn't got anyone to massage her feet every day. Um, just throwing it, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just throwing it out there. I know, but I just needed people to know. I know, I know. I wasn't saying it was a bad thing. I was happy to massage your feet every day for the full term of our three children. And I, would, I do it still. I mean, I'm, I still... I'm still happy to massage your feet. That sermon's done now. <laughs> the point and the objective of the sermon is, ac is accomplished, and so we can move on. Um, how come God doesn't spare her from some of the more challenging bits of pregnancy, you know? Um, then think of all the stuff that she's going to get from her family. Can you imagine how Mary's family would have felt? It's, you know, your 13-year-old daughter comes home and says, I'm pregnant, and I am, can't really tell you who the father is. It's like, it's generally not a, that's great, darling, conversation. Think of all the trouble that it's going to have caused between Mary and Joseph. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Think about the whispering voices, all the judging looks that Mary must have received in a small town of Nazareth where the rumor mill is going kind of crazy and people are making all these judgments. It's like, Lord, you didn't tell me that it was going to be so complicated. You didn't tell me that it was going to be so hard. And then they've got this census thing. They've got this exhausting, dangerous trip from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea. And it's like 100 miles. And there are no planes, there are no trains, there are no buses, there are no cars. Most pictures have Mary riding on a donkey. I don't think I can find a donkey in this narrative at all, but maybe you can. And Mary would have had to have walked like a lot. This is a full-term pregnant woman walking like a hundred miles. And it's not easy for her, it's not easy for Joseph. In, in Bethlehem, they get there, every hotel is full, every Airbnb is booked, every youth hostel is crammed full of people, and Mary's waters break at the worst time imaginable, and she goes into labor, and the only thing that there is is a barn. You know, you could kind of forgive these guys for feeling like, is this the reward I get? Is this the thanks I get for being your servant? Is this what being your servant looks like, Lord? Is this what I get for following you, God? You know, Mary would have had good reason to kind of at least lament the trouble that she was going through. And if she felt like that, she would have been in good company. 
Um, right throughout the scriptures, David, you see it most often in David, uh, the other psalmists, they all lamented the things that they experienced that were challenging. They all lamented the waiting that they had to endure. You hear again and again and again the refrain, how long, O Lord? And most of these laments could be paraphrased with a kind of, this sucks. But if you read through the Psalms, as I've done over and over and over this year, um, these suffering writers, you know, they're, they're going through hard times, but they usually come to a place of saying, in far more poetic language, they usually come to saying, this absolutely sucks right now, yet will I trust you, Lord. Yet I will trust you, Lord. Yet I choose to put my faith in you. Yet I choose to put my hope in you. There's a story told of Teresa of Avila. She was a 16th century Spanish nun, and she was one day complaining to God over what she felt was the seemingly unjust suffering of a righteous person. And she felt God say to her in the moment that God said to her, well, that's how I treat all my friends. To which she replied, well, Lord, now I understand why you have so few of them. <laughs> Waiting for God through difficult situations is hard. It's really, really really hard. And during this time of waiting, we would do well to resort to the tried and tested pattern of lamenting to God and not complaining to other people, but lamenting to God. Against the backdrop of this first Advent story of Luke 1, James is saying, wait for God despite the delay and wait for God despite the difficulty. And James's readers knew all about difficulty. They were the poor of the world. They were the persecuted of the world. And James says, you know, think of the prophets. He's like, reminds them, think of the prophets. Think of those who have gone before you. The message version, version translates uh, James uh, chapter 5, verse 10, 11 like this. It says, take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit, all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. And then he reminds us of Job, uh, which is always going to cheer you up. And he basically saying, look, despite all of the trouble that befell Job, despite all of the well-meaning and misguided comforters and friends that he had, Job somehow managed to persevere. He kept his life turned towards God. Job refuses to curse God. And, and in the prophets and in, the, and in Job, you, this is basically what I think James is getting at. You see this threefold progression of circumstance. And, and first off, you encounter this difficulty or the suffering that then leads to our response. What is the human response to our suffering and our difficulty? And the exhortation is that it should be one of perseverance and pressing in, which in turn results and leads to final blessing. We consider blessed those who have persevered, said James. We're to use those who have gone before us as, um, as examples and teachers to help us navigate our way through difficulty and challenge. I think it was um, practically week one, it probably was week one of pub epistles when we were confronted by what James has to say in chapter one, which is, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. That was a fun week. Um, what an incredible way to look at trouble, to consider pure joy. 
And why should we even think to take such a radically countercultural view of trouble? You know, maybe, maybe it's possible that difficulty and challenge can develop perseverance. And maybe perseverance can lead us to the blessing of maturity and completeness in Christ. Difficulty, perseverance, blessing. Wait for the Lord despite delay. Wait for the Lord despite difficulty. That's James's exhortation and encouragement to us. That's what the stories of Zachariah and Elizabeth and indeed Joseph and Mary are telling us. And I don't know what you think, but maybe as they have gone before us, maybe as followers of Jesus, uh, the lives, uh, the narrative of our lives, maybe our stories are actually meant to parallel theirs. That their experience is actually not going to be too dissimilar to ours. Could it be that when we try to rush the fulfillment of God's promises, because we've got God on Amazon Prime same-day delivery, that we may actually be missing some of the things that God really wants for us and intended for us? Could it be that even in the uncertainty, even in the, the, the confusion associated with delay, that God is actually doing something far more profound, much, much deeper, and much more important? Like growing our character. And maybe our character and the, the development of our character may even be more important than the things that we think that we're waiting for? Could it be that through the difficult circumstances that oftentimes accompany waiting, in fact, only through these difficult circumstances can we become the people that God has called us and shaped us and designed us to be? Could it be that through the waiting, you know, we're actually learning to trust God more completely? So what are the storylines of our lives today? Do we sometimes feel like our story is just kind of stuck, that our lives are stuck? We're, we've just hit this, I just don't feel like I'm going anywhere fast. Um, maybe we feel like we're stuck in a season of suffering and pain. Maybe we've experienced things that have just been so brutal, they've just been so painful, they've just hurt us so much that we just don't feel like we can get out of what feels like this season of struggle and suffering and pain. Um, maybe you're just weary of waiting. Like, I get that. It's exhausting. It's just exhausting, having to just pick yourself up every single day and say, yet will I trust you? You know, though there be no fruit on the vine, though there be no figs, yet will I praise you. Um, maybe we're just tired of adversity and challenge and what feels like conflict. Maybe, maybe you're dreading the season of good cheer because of everything you're going through. Maybe the season of good cheer is the last way that you would describe it. Advent is an invitation into a season of reflection. Advent is an invitation to a season of pause. Advent is an opportunity to, to just remind ourselves, to give us strength for the journey, to encourage ourselves, to encourage one another. Um, the, just, it's a reminder of what all of the delay and all of the difficulty might actually really be all about. Advent, Advent points through the waiting. It's like if the waiting is like a cloud, 
or a fog that feels like it's sat upon us. Advent is like this, um, this signpost that comes and pierces the darkness and it gives us hope beyond the waiting because it points ahead to the fulfillment of God's promises because Advent is all about the gift of a savior. It's about the gift of a savior who after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of delay and endless difficulty and challenge was finally born in a stable so that we might begin to experience the wonder of God's blessing. So, as we move into this season of Advent, can I encourage us all to take a moment to reflect on our waiting? How are we, how are we doing? How are we doing with the waiting? Despite the delays, in spite of all of the difficulties, in spite of all of the challenges, how are we holding fast to the promises of God? How are we looking through the waiting of this season of our lives, through to the promise of fulfillment, through to the promise of a Savior who has both come and is coming again to deliver us, to bring us hope, and to give us life in all its fullness? Can we have the band back?